Um, and I guess to speak to sort of the fertility aspect too, uh, liver in many cultures, including these, but also others, has been a focus food for pregnancy, postpartum, and children because they know that this food is so nutrient dense and fertility needs to be supported with specific foods. Oftentimes there's specific traditions and rituals practiced before, you know, conception uh, by traditional cultures and specific foods eaten during that time, eaten during pregnancy, and then eaten postpartum and to support children as well, the growth of the children. Welcome back to the Next Ingredient Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Everidge, and we get to learn all about liver with Lauren De La Cruz. Lauren is a pre and postnatal coach who helps women optimize their fertility, have a thriving pregnancy, a resilient postpartum, and just in general, overall vibrant health. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Meredith. Thanks so much for having me. Great. So why don't you start, um, before we dive into liver, why don't you just kind of lay the foundation for who you are and, um, yeah, what you do? Sure. Yeah, of course. I'd be happy to. So my name is Lauren and I'm a pre and postnatal coach. I'm really, really passionate about supporting women and men in their fertility journeys. I love, you know, combining the traditional wisdom of ancestral nutrition. And this is combined with the natural physiology of the body, biology. And, you know, I kind of look at this through a lens of bioenergetics, pro-metabolism, and bio-individualism, because everyone is slightly different. And so all of those things combined take a lot of you know, inspiration from the wisdom of our ancestors, but also combine that with what we know today as well. And so I take this and really help women and men optimize their fertility to have health and, you know, in all phases of life, because really so much changes all the time, especially as you go from, uh, you know, to through parenthood and beyond. And so I really want to support men and women through all these different changes. Beautiful. And that is interesting. I'm realizing that I don't actually hear a lot of talk about men's fertility in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's often, you know, it's definitely, you make a great point because women, when it comes to fertility, we take on so much but it does take two to tango and men's health and fertility is critical in terms of, you know, conception and overall health and well-being as well. So I'm also super passionate about this and I have a couple of things in the works that I'm really excited to launch to support men as well. Ooh, I'd love to, I mean, do you want to share it real quick? Oh, sure. So I'm currently working on a preconception course for men. And this is going to go through how they can optimize their fertility to support optimal conception, because I currently have a course called Conscious Conception for women to optimize their own fertility. And it kind of takes them through all the steps of preconception. But, you know, while I do have a lot of men and women, you know, husbands and wives taking that course together, and so much is applicable there, I really want to create a specific resource for men. And so, this is what I'm working on right now. And I'm super excited to, to share the resource with everyone. Cool. That's, that is just, I've just, yeah, I've never actually heard anyone say men's fertility. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> cool. So then you chose liver and that is a bold ingredient to choose. Yes, it is. And <laughs> the reason I chose that is because I really wanted to, one, it's a really important food. It's, nature's multivitamin. And, you know, I can explain a lot more about it later, but it's such a powerful food. And I do draw a lot of inspiration and take from a lot of the wisdom of our ancestors. And liver is just such a, an incredibly nourishing food, especially for the area that I work in. So preconception, pregnancy, postpartum, fertility overall, and health and well-being. It's, it's such a key food that can really turn around health for the better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've been hearing about how important organ meats are lately. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, they are. And liver is one of them. (laughs) Awesome. I have had liver many times growing up. My dad used to make it for us. We grew up in Alaska, and so there would be like, you know, fresh, I don't know, deer and all kinds of freshly harvested animals and so he would just cook up some liver in the kitchen and some we had he got mixed reactions from the family (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's you know for sure I can I can imagine that that's amazing that you had access to uh you know such fresh meat and such fresh organ meats like that that's incredible I think I know for the most part, many of us are pretty detached from our, you know, where our food comes from. So that's kind of beautiful. I know. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful. I did. I didn't really feel super thankful back then, but now I'm older and wiser and I'm thankful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But for those of us that grew up without that connection or, you know, the ability to see that uh, and, you know, even eating regardless, even consuming this food regularly, as a child or, you know, in our youth, it can be sort of a transition and an acquired taste at first. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I actually, I actually do like how it tastes, but um, for some reason, and I was just talking to someone about this because I was saying, I'm going to be talking to someone about liver on the podcast. Um, I, I couldn't get around just the, the concept of it, which is Mm -hmm. funny because we like, I eat burgers, like I eat you know, beef tacos or like, you know, other parts of the animal. But for some reason, like why, yeah, why was, why would liver be um, gross? So yeah, I just, I think it's a little ridiculous. It's like, I have a double standard here. <laughs> Many of us do, but you know, it, I'm happy to explain kind of the thinking behind that and what I will share from our traditional cultures might surprise you. Okay, go, go for it. I'm ready. Yeah. So well, I, you know, at first I mentioned liver is nature's multivitamin, and I kind of wanted to explain a little bit more about that because when people think of nutrient-dense foods, and that's a term thrown around very often in today's, you know, nutrition and health and wellness uh, area. And so what does that exactly mean? And from a, you know, dietetics perspective, it's really getting the most nutrition out of the lowest calories, but If we look at liver, it is literally the most nutrient-dense food. You get the most nutrition per serving, and it's amazing the amount of nutrients that the liver contains. And that's because, you know, when people think of liver, they think of it's a detoxifying organ, but really it's a neutralizing organ. And the reason that it contains so many nutrients is because it uses those nutrients to neutralize and support functions in the body. It conducts over 500 processes. So it's a really active organ and a very exercised organ. So it's doing so many different things and that requires a ton of nutrition. And so our livers contain tons of nutrients and require tons of nutrients, but so do other animals' livers. So It just makes a lot of sense why liver would be so nutrient dense when you look at the physiology of the body and what the liver is responsible for. And so if you look at any liver, like chicken liver or beef liver, it's a super concentrated source of many fat-soluble vitamins and water-soluble vitamins and minerals. So these include vitamin A, D, K2, E, vitamin C as well. All, you know, tons of B vitamins like B1, B2, uh, B3. So B1 is thiamine, B2 is riboflavin, B3 is niacin, uh, B5, B6, folate, B12, choline, which is super important, especially if you are preparing for conception or trying to get pregnant as well. Folate gets a lot of, you know, sort of press and a lot of highlight when it comes to fertility and preconception and baby's health. But choline is just as important for preventing neural tube defects, which is really the concern around, you know, why people should have folate. And so it also contains betaine and all of those nutrients that I just mentioned, folate, B12, choline, betaine included, they're all responsible for methylation as well. So if you're somebody that struggles with methylation or, uh, you know, is worried about neural tube defects and wants to proactively increase nutrient stores, 
you know, liver is going to cover a lot of those nutrients, including folate, but not just folate, because it's about more than that, actually. So we also have iron, magnesium, potassium, sodium, zinc, copper, manganese, and selenium. So as you can see, it's a really broad spectrum, nutrient-dense food. And it's just so incredibly important. And, you know, for those of you listening, it is the most concentrated source of folate per serving and choline per serving. So if you're looking to up those two nutrients and improve your nutrient stores prior to conception or during pregnancy too, because we have to keep those nutrient stores up, liver is a really easy way to do that. Beautiful. Wow. 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 Okay. First, I have two questions. First of all, you said that liver is neutralizing and it has nutrients, which you said there are a lot of nutrients in liver and those are the things that are doing all the neutralizing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. We have something called phase one and phase two detoxification in our own bodies. And so the liver requires different nutrients for different phases. And if we can't complete either phase well, there will be some kind of backup going on. Uh, we're not detoxifying properly. We also need to eliminate that's phase three too. But, <laughs> um, you know, the liver is handling a lot of detoxification and it does that by neutralizing. So, you know, when, you know, I want to correct and sort of backtrack too, because detoxification, a lot of people think, okay, then it must have a lot of toxins, but really the liver will hold them temporarily and neutralize them with the nutrients that are in them, and then send them on their way to the next phase of detoxification, usually to be eliminated. So liver is really just super concentrated in these nutrients. And if it is holding toxins, it's just super temporary, and it doesn't tend to hold on to them for very long either. So I do want to make that clarification. Well, what if when you, when you like harvest or like kill the animal, <laughs> I'm trying to be all delicate, but when you, when you kill the animal, um, and it hasn't sent those toxins on their way, then they are in the liver. Yes. And, you know, there's definitely different ways and quality matters. You know, the, the life of the animal will matter. That's why grass fed is really important or if you're eating chicken liver pasture raised because they're eating a diet where it's going to be less toxic if you know if if you may if i will yeah. um, it's going to be exposed to less environmental toxins and so you'll have less of a worry of things like glyphosate or heavy metals being in the liver um you know depending on how the animal is raised and so wild also, what you've had access to, wild is amazing. Mm. They're just foraging on the diet that they should have. And so the quality of that liver is going to be much greater than, you know, a liver from a cow that's been in a conventional lot, eating feed, uh, giving, being given antibiotics, etc. So definitely a difference. Quality matters for sure. Got it. And then also like you have a liver, right? Or we have, <laughs> we have liver. And so if we are consuming an animal liver that has uh, toxins in it, our bodies can, you know, work with that, right? Like it's not the end of the world, right? Exactly. That's true. And so, you know, I, I, there's a definitely our, our environment is being overloaded with environmental toxins, all different kinds of toxins. But we also have to look at what we can control. And so what we can control is our resilience. And that comes from nourishing our body properly, supporting the different pathways that allow us to detoxify those things that we come in contact with. It's not about hiding in a bubble and, you know, <laughs> uh, being orthorexic or, you know, scared of to eat food because we're worried it's going to have you know, something in it, all food is, you know, beautiful. And it can even conventional meat and things like that conventional produce is going to be much better than processed food. So, you know, you have to work with the parameters of how you're living, where you're living, what you can afford, all those things. And I also think the mind is really important too. If you think your body cannot detoxify certain things or that this food is going to harm you or not support you, then it's probably not. <laughs> so mindset is also really important when it comes to food in general. 
Um, but that was just a segue, you know, <laughs> or getting getting a little sidetracked. But um, I do want to point out that, you know, just because something has the possibility of containing a, you know, slightly higher level of heavy metals or, you know, a trace of it, it uh, doesn't mean it's not worth consuming because oftentimes, especially when it comes to liver, the benefits way outweigh any downsides. Right. I was just going to say that the benefits probably outweigh the drawbacks. And don't apologize for getting off topic because that is all part of the conversation. Um, I was also talking to someone this week about how, um, well, I think they were telling me that they believe that how you feel about, oh, it was my roommate. Amanda, so how you um, how you feel about the food you're eating probably like has a lot to do with how our bodies process it. So if you're like you're like eating this and you're worried, um, I don't know. Yeah, do you have more to say on that topic? Actually, I'm kind of curious. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. There's a lot to be said. I mean, our body, our digestive system is tied to our nervous system. Our nervous system is really what helps support the proper digestion of food too. So we have something called the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. And this is two sort of states that our body goes between. And the parasympathetic state is also called the rest and digest state. And so if you can kind of read between the lines, it's the state that we should be in when we're consuming food. And we have the sympathetic state, which is the fight or flight state. So this is the sort of more primal uh, protective state that we go into when we think, you know, our body is potentially running from a bear uh, or, you know, a warring tribe is coming and we have to really gear up to fight them. Uh, granted, you know, this sounds like very esoteric stuff, but our body has not really moved on from this. It's, you know, these functions, these two states are still very much so present in our body. And so we need to learn to work with that. And if we're entering a meal in a fight or flight state, generally speaking, we're not going to be able to digest food because in that state, our body's only focusing on survival. And so it's going to uh, increase or direct blood flow to only the essential organs. And extremities are kind of not part of that. Reproduction is not part of that. Digestion is not part of that. It's about keeping the heart pumping, the lungs, uh, you know, taking in air. And so that's the sympathetic state, the fight or flight state. Then we have the parasympathetic state where our processes can actually happen. And hopefully, you know, Digestion is a mouth to anus process. Uh, excuse me for the crudeness, but you know, <laughs> it's true. It, our, our, it's a very sensual process. And that goes back to kind of what you're, you know, talking about where our perception of the food that we're eating matters so much in terms of what we get out of it too. So uh, our, our digestion actually starts with sight, uh, smell and uh, taste. And so we have enzymes that, you know, start getting released in our mouth if we smell or see food, even if we think about food. And so that kind of kicks off the digestive process. And then there's a whole chain of events that happens after that. And if anything in the chain goes wrong, it can create digestive issues for sure. Whether that's up the chain, you know, we might not be able to um, move from the stomach to the small intestine. And so we're experiencing acid reflux, or maybe it's lower in the chain where, you know, we're getting um, uh, backed up and we can't eliminate anything, uh, or maybe we're not getting, you know, recycling the nutrients well or creating the nutrients in our colon that we should be able to. Uh, so there's so much that happens in digestion and our thoughts are a huge part of that too. Uh, you know, again, our digestion is tied to our nervous system. So, you know, aside from being in a rest and digest state, how we perceive our food is going to make a big difference too. If we think of food, if we go into a meal saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm eating this. I'm so, I feel so guilty. This is so bad for me. Uh, it's cooked in mozzarella canola oil. Say, say for example, you got like, uh, I don't know, in and out or you went to a fast food place and because that was your only option. Um, 
that's going to happen and that, that food is going to serve you a lot less well than if you were to say, I'm so grateful for this food. It's going to nourish me in a time of need. I look forward to, you know, uh, supporting my body and making it less hungry. And I look forward to uh, nourishing again after this with additional foods to, you know, support my physiology, um, or maybe there's a goal that you're working towards too. So, you know, this food, I'm so grateful that it's going to support me and my future baby um, versus like, uh, this food's terrible and it's going to make me fat and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like that makes such a huge difference because our cells listen to everything that we have to say. So our cells really, you know, that's why the mind and the body are so connected and why there's a term called mind-body connection, you know, we can really uh, manifest certain things. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with, um, there was, are you familiar with the rice experiment by any chance? No. So there is a Japanese um, uh, scientist, or is he a scientist? Um I forget exactly what his credentials are, but he's Dr. Masaru Emoto, and he's most well known for his rice experiment. So what he did was he put three jars, uh, he put rice in three jars, and for the next 30 days, he spoke to them. And to the first jar, he said, thank you. The second jar, he said, you're stupid or, you know, you're ignorant or you're an idiot. Um, the exact translation from Japanese to English is something like that. Um, and then he ignored the third jar. He didn't give the third jar any attention. And so after 30 days, the first jar, which he said thank you to, the rice remained mostly white and grew barely any mold. It was pretty pristine. The second jar where he said, you're an idiot, you're stupid, he, the jar grew mold, the rice in the jar grew mold. And the third jar where he ignored completely was somewhere in between, you know, kind of moldy, uh, maybe not as moldy as the sort of negative <laughs> things he was saying to the second jar, but, um, uh, you know, more moldy than the jar he was saying nice things to. So a lot of this is considered pseudoscience, you know, but there's a reason we do this experiment, you know, in first, second, third grade. I remember doing it in third grade, I think. And it was fascinating. And um, at least, you know, in the schools here in the US. Um, but, you know, I think it's a powerful reminder because the perspective and energy that we put out into the world matters so much. And positive intentions and words can nurture. Negative intentions and words can literally, you know, destroy us. So I think just taking a lesson from that experiment, his work, his research, or that example, you know, it can make a lot of difference depending on how you speak to yourself in general, but also how you perceive the food that you put into your body. Well said, Lauren. Thank you for breaking that down. That has been something on my mind as well. Like if I feel like I don't have an appetite, but I should force myself to eat something or I you know, whatever's going on, relationships with food are complex, but I love, um, I love the, like, trying to calm your body and trying to, like, thank the food and, like, take a moment before you even put it in your mouth, like, think about it, give it a sniff, you know, mm -hmm. like, interact with it more instead of just, like, ugh, calories, gotta eat them so that I don't die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like that that relates back to let's let's go back to liver and yes. we'll talk about sourcing and um like obviously yeah, I mean that's that's a little bit um down the down the line, but at some point, yeah, just like um no matter where you get it, the benefits probably outweigh the drawbacks. Yeah. Yeah. And so going back to liver I do want to touch on sort of the traditions around liver uh, because those are really important too. It's not like, you know, we've woken up in 2022 and been like, liver's really important. It's like a fad, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not one of these like super food fads, although maybe it, it should of, be. <laughs> yeah, it should be. It's kind of turned into that, but um, I think it's more of a fad in that we're remembering not necessarily 
creating this idea of something, uh, which is good because we're remembering the traditions of our ancestors. And that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit. Um, so from an ancestral perspective, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Dr. Weston A. Price by any chance? Ooh, I mean, I know that there's a foundation. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. So Dr. Weston A. Price was a dentist and he, I think he was the head of the dental association. Hopefully I'm getting that association correct. <laughs> um, in the 1930s. And what he did was this, his story is actually kind of sad. Um, he was doing some work, dental work on his son and he passed away while he, this was happening. And so he kind of vowed to look into and try to find the perfect diet uh, to prevent, because at that point he knew that diet was connected to the health of teeth and the health of your, you know, dental foundation. And so he wanted to find the perfect diet to prevent cavities from forming and to prevent potentially other children or people from going through these procedures where they could potentially die. His dentistry was, you know, it was very much early days there. <laughs> and so he set on this journey with his wife. He traveled the world examining both modern civilizations, but also indigenous and less touched civilizations uh, that were eating their traditional foods. Um, and so what he found was, and he expected to find that the perfect diet was a vegan diet, completely plant-based. But surprisingly, what he found was that there was no indigenous uh, diet or you know community that was eating a completely plant-based diet and that these communities that were eating their traditional foods were had not really incorporated foods of modern commerce like flour sugar um, industrialized oils things like that were in the best health health problems were virtually non-existent even the older generation, the elders were in pristine health. They were very alert. They were functional and contributing to society still. Whereas when you looked at modern civilizations, their teeth were falling out or, you know, really decaying. They had really narrow mouths and palates. Uh, they had breathing problems. Uh, their facial structure was a lot more long and narrow too. Um, they had a lot more health problems, a lot younger. And what he also examined as well, a couple things I'm going to talk about, was uh, that he uh, noticed that it didn't take very long for health to degenerate too. So just from the first generation, even before, you know, say, you know, you were, you were eating a traditional diet, you were a, a young child, but then maybe when you were 12, you started incorporating the foods of modern commerce, your health immediately started to deteriorate. And it showed up in the following generations. And it often took about three generations to kind of revitalize that health that the indigenous population had. So I know I just threw a lot at you, but he documented everything in his book called Physical uh, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. And it was really, really interesting and fascinating. And I think that a lot of his research is still super relevant. Uh, what he also found was that the nutrient content of the traditional diets was also astronomically higher. And if I can remember, I think it was something like four times the amount of minerals, 10 times the amount of fat-soluble vitamins. And there was this one nutrient, which we now know is called vitamin K2, but he called it factor X that was present in the traditional and ancestral diets versus the modern diets. That was like a really missing key nutrient in modern diets. And so suffice to say, you know, he found that all of these traditional uh, cultures had greater health, vibrant health, and um, great teeth too. He, his photos in his book are of everyone smiling. <laughs> it's, it's really kind of cool to see. Um, but he also talked a lot about liver and he examined and documented the specific tribes, uh, and what they ate 
And there were several different tribes. And there are several examples of tribes, you know, kind of looking at liver as this really, really important uh, foundation to their diet. And so if it's all right with you, I'm going to chat a little bit about them. Please do. And what is this book called that he wrote? Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. Thank you. It is a very dense book. Uh, It is very, uh, (laughs) you know, it's written in the 1930s. So it's it's, it's kind of a tough read, but... (laughs) Regardless, there's lots of pictures and um, it's, it's so fascinating. I just, it's one of my favorite books to just go back to and kind of poke around. And so um, regarding the tribes that he studied, I'll talk about a couple of them. So there were the Nile tribes and their central belief was that the soul resides in the liver. And this is not something that is uncommon. This is actually seen in a couple of tribes. So the soul resides in the liver and your character and growth depend on how well you feed that soul by eating the liver of other animals. And I just find that so fascinating, but this tribe ate liver raw and cooked. That was a core part of their diet. Then we have the nurse and he noticed that no member had any dental issues whatsoever, not one. And they were super, super tall people. Like, I think he talked about women being over six feet and men being over seven feet. What? (laughs) Yeah. And the nurse also believe that the soul lives in the liver and that nourishing the soul depends on eating the liver of the other animals too. And then we have the Nanets and this is in outer Siberia. So some of the harshest climates you can possibly imagine, but children in this culture prize raw liver. They go nuts for it. It's, amazing. Then we have the outer Herberties and liver is considered a very important and key dish for growing children. And so here we have a more fish focused culture, but still liver is a key part of their diet. And, you know, I've been talking about liver, but liver can be uh, cow liver, chicken liver, venison liver, elk liver, uh, sheep liver. What about fish liver? Fish liver. I was just going to say that. Yep. So cod livers are really, really common in terms of the colder climates to consume. They're a really concentrated source of vitamin D3 and vitamin A as well. And so in this culture, uh, they used to bake cod head and stuff them with oats and cod liver. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That was a really fortifying dish for children and to support their growth. So when you think about, you know, the the illnesses that kind of hit us in the early 1900s, maybe before that too, it was rickets and things like that. And um, uh, what's it called? Um, oh gosh, I'm, remem- <laughs> I'm not remembering right now, but other kind of bone issues. Well, you need both vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin K to support bone health, uh, vitamin K2 specifically. So uh, these foods, liver has all three of them. And it kind of makes sense, especially, you know, if you live in a colder climate where you're not getting as much sunlight, that cod liver or fish liver would be such a central part of your diet. Then we have the Inuit and the Inuits would hunt seals and they would eat the liver first and then the blood after, and then the brain fat and the meat. So liver was the first thing that they went for. We also have the Comanche, which is a powerful American tribe. And they, their children loved liver, also used to go crazy for it. What they would do is squirt bile on it from the gallbladder of the animal and eat it right there. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm just thinking about how incredible it is that changed. Yes. Like yeah. this is a this is a dramatic change. Yes, it is. It is. And it's just so interesting looking at the traditional diets of these cultures. And you know, we have a very mixed culture now, but if you can find, you know, talk to your parents, your grandparents. If you can talk to your grandparents, please talk to them. If you can talk to your great grandparents, you are so lucky. Please talk to them and ask them what they grew up eating. And ask them, you know, try to find out 
your lineage or heritage uh, because that will support you uh, in terms of trying to find foods that support your physiology. Uh, finding a cookbook from 100 years ago to 200 years ago from your specific culture is going to have foods that likely support your individual biology. And so you can kind of incorporate these ancestral foods in a way that will support you specifically too. Uh, Lauren, I just need to interrupt and just thank you so much for coming on here. And this is, I can't believe I get to just have these conversations. What a great, <laughs> thank you so much. This is fascinating stuff. Oh, my pleasure. This is fun so far. Yeah, I love this. Um, <laughs> so I have one more tribe to talk about, and that was the Native Americans in general. So they mainly ate buffalo and uh, beef, and they typically prepared it roasted, baked, or dried in the sun, you know, for jerky and things like that. Uh, what is so interesting about this is that lean muscle meat, which, you know, is touted as like the health food right now, uh, you don't you don't want meat with too much cholesterol, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they left lean meat for scavengers and the organ meats and the fats were the prizes and often the first to be eaten, especially during periods of food lack. Uh, so they knew that these were the most nutrient dense. And so they would go for these first because they knew that they needed the nourishment and these organ meats were going to provide the nourishment, including liver. So super, super fascinating. Um, and I guess to speak to sort of the fertility aspect too, uh, liver in many cultures, including these, but also others, has been a focus food for pregnancy, postpartum, and children because they know that this food is so nutrient dense and fertility needs to be supported with specific foods. Oftentimes there are specific traditions and rituals practiced before, you know, conception uh, by traditional cultures. And specific foods eaten during that time, eaten during pregnancy, and then eaten postpartum and to support children as well, the growth of the children. So liver is thought to restore, increase, and cleanse the blood as well in many cultures. So, you know, I'll probably talk about this in a little bit, but if you kind of, you know, are dealing with anemia, <laughs> you'll understand very soon why that's important. Um, and very interestingly, too, I just want to add one last point is that liver is amongst the first organs eaten by other animals, too. So other mammals, liver is eaten by wolves first, lions first. And again, it's because it's a naturally concentrated source of fats and vitamins. Wow, I'm just never going to look at uh, liver the same again. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to once you 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 learn so much about it and you know how much amazingness isn't it yeah and how it's been prized over the over the years and across the globe mm -hmm. absolutely one more just one more little note and this one is more exciting in my opinion so we are thrilled to announce our new sponsor wild coast seafoods founded by my very cool older brother who was on the episode uh, in September on here about sockeye salmon. Very good time. Fun was had by all. Um, so Wild Coast Seafood specializes in small batch seafood production, allowing them to preserve the highest quality available. Um, it's, it's Alaskan seafood, which I don't think I mentioned yet. Their current offering is wild Pacific cod harvested in April and shrimp harvested in May. This seafood is available currently in the Boise area, but they're going to expand, so stay tuned. For more information, check them out at wildcoastseafoods.fish. Not .com, .fish. A link is in the show notes. Okay, so what's your next? Like, wh where are you going next? <laughs> I just, just keep going. Yeah, so let's talk about how to source liver and cook liver. And then we can talk a little bit about some concerns around liver because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. any food, of course, has <laughs> some kind of drama associated with it at this point, you know, in today's modern age where we pick apart everything. So um, sourcing liver, uh, there are differences in nutrition content between beef, chicken, lamb, etc., uh, the more ruminant animals, and so ruminants include beef, uh, cows, um, elk, venison, sheep, kind of four-legged animals that have 
for stomachs or a much more robust stomach and digestive system, um, they have a higher uh, nutrient content in their livers. That said, chicken liver is still incredibly, incredibly nutrient dense. So is pork liver. You know, if you have, um, oh gosh, what do they call it? And I don't know why I'm blanking right now, but uh, pork liver in Germany, it's called. Um, I'm looking, oh. I'm Googling. It's liver, liverwurst. Liverwurst. Oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> my husband's German, so I don't know why I just have that brain fart, but. It's okay. You um, have a lot of information in your head. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, regardless, these, compared to any other food, even if chicken liver is still, you know, slightly less nutrient dense than beef liver, it is still more nutrient dense than any single food on the planet. So you're going to get so much benefit regardless of what you, what liver you get. Uh, of course, sourcing matters. So, you know, there are nutritional differences. Uh, for example, uh, grass-fed liver will have a more balanced uh, fatty acid profile, um, a more balanced mineral profile, whereas a grain-fed conventionally raised liver will have a higher iron content, probably have other toxins, you know, you don't really want necessarily. Um, it'll also taste a lot more metallic, the conventional liver. I've eaten both and they are very different. So if you find that you can't handle liver, it might be because you're eating a conventionally raised liver. And I would highly encourage you to try a grass-fed liver, which is really just a very sweet and mild taste versus a very dark, it, even the color looks so different. It's very dark, it smells metallic, it tastes metallic, and it's really difficult to make recipes with a conventionally raised liver. You know, bless you if you can handle it, but I <laughs> I personally can't um, as somebody who has not eaten liver until they're, you know, adulthood. Um, so that's something to keep in mind, you know, depending on preferences and what you're looking for. Can I? Or, yeah, of course. What do you mean can't handle it? What does that mean? Uh, liver can be very off-putting for some people. Okay. So, you know, I, <laughs> I thought when, you meant like how it affects your body, but you're just talking about like the, the, um, culinary, like the experience. Yes. The culinary experience. That's the first, you know, hurdle. <laughs> so, uh, getting somebody to eat organ meats, especially something like liver who has never done that or been used to it. That is, you know, a challenge in itself to sort of get the body to like it. And what's really fascinating, though, is that once somebody does consume liver, you'll find that you might have a craving for it. Like I have a craving for it here and there. And I listen to it because I think that's my body telling me I need more of the specific nutrient or more of these specific nutrients and what liver has to offer. Um, there is definitely, you know, if you're taking liver pills, desiccated liver pills, which is another option if you wanted to get liver uh, there can be some sort of, you know, any, any kind of like liver pill brand will sort of have a warning. You know, you may experience a detoxification reaction. You can kind of feel kind of like you got the flu. Um, it's, it's not uncommon, uh, but it's and not. What, what causes that? Well, if you look at what liver has in it, it has so much nutrition. So, my thought process, and I, I think a lot of other companies and um, practitioners are in line with this, is that when you consume something so nutrient dense, it's kind of like turning the lights on. And sometimes, you know, if you're going from a very dark room to a very light room, it's going to be a little bit shocking for the system. Because what's happening is, you know, we have all of these enzymatic reactions that maybe weren't happening before, um, or maybe they're getting sped up now. Maybe your me metabolic rate is getting sped up now because literally our metabolism is just the speed of all the chemical reactions in our body. But so, you know, we're providing the nutrition for all of these metabolic processes to occur. And so that can sort of push uh, things like detoxification a little further. And so it might be overwhelming for the body. So I guess that's a good way to segue into if you're starting to consume liver, start small, 
<laughs> and, you know, don't go for a four ounce serving, go for like a half ounce serving and then increase to an ounce serving and then increase to a, an ounce and a half. Uh, so, you know, just uh, some, some guidance for how to introduce it, I guess, is also good here. <laughs> Definitely. And thank you for just thank you for defining uh, metabolism. I did not know it was all the uh, reactions. What did you say? It's all it's basically the the summation of the chemical reactions in your body. So that's cool. Hormones. I just sorry, I keep interrupting you. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Um, I, I thought it was just how fast you digest food. But like what? A, that's not that's not true at all. Oh, that's definitely part of it. Because you know, if you have a high need for nutrition, and your metabolic rate is good, um, you're going to digest food easily, and you might have a higher need for food. Uh, this goes back to sort of the sympathetic and parasympathetic too. If we're in a chronically sympathetic state, uh, our metabolism is going to be suppressed too. So that's something to keep in mind because the body's slowing everything down to support survival rather than thrival. Okay, got it. And then you said desiccated supplements. Um, I'm curious what that means. And then also, can you explain how to... Um cook with it. Yeah, of course. So desiccated supplements are essentially freeze-dried uh, organ supplements. Uh, they're freeze-dried and then pulverized into a powder. And you can take them in a capsule rather than consuming them. And this is a, a way that, you know, somebody who might still not be able to handle the taste or the smell of liver um, can introduce liver without having to deal with the sort of olfactory taste bud aspect of it. <laughs> and, um, you know, in Chinese medicine too, like supports like, there's a lot of other cultures that think about that, you know, food that way. So liver supports the liver, um, which is why we see so much, so many other sort of supplements coming out with, you know, organ meat supplements, I should say. So now you have desiccated pancreas, desiccated thymus, desiccated lung, uh, you can desiccated bone marrow, you can find a desiccated supplement for literally every part of the body. And so um, it's very interesting in that regard, and, you know, that you can potentially support a part of the body with an, the, an animal's organ. That's cool. Yeah. So how to cook with liver? Uh, well, you don't have to cook with liver, you can have it raw. <laughs> So depending on your sourcing and, you know, definitely um, people have different risk tolerances for this. So I'm just going to throw out a couple of options, but uh, you can have it raw. If you know your farmer, if you got it fresh, like there's nothing like raw liver. It's very sweet, very mild. And I don't know, it's very easy to consume, at least for me. And I, I don't consume it, you know, a huge piece. I'll just like cut off a little piece. <laughs> Um, I also throw raw liver in my smoothies. I make raw liver smoothies. And um, this is a really big part of, well, recipes and how to nourish with specific foods is a big part of my course, Conscious Conception, and how I teach women to prepare for fertility and support their fertility. And so I have tons of different smoothie recipes and different ways to cook with liver. Um, and, and raw liver smoothies are one of them. Uh, if you're worried about something like parasites or pathogens in the liver, um, you know, if you're getting a high quality liver, it's really less of a concern. But if you want to be conservative and say you're pregnant and, you know, you want to take that extra precaution, you could freeze your liver for two weeks or more, and that should hopefully kill off everything um, and make it so that you don't have to worry about that. Uh, then we have milk soaking, which is a great way to prepare liver if you're averse to the taste or smell. Uh, soaking it in milk is a really traditional practice where, you know, it kind of draws out that um, sort of more metallic taste smell. Um, and so you can milk, soak it in milk for about six hours to 12 hours uh, before you cook with it. And that could make the taste a lot more agreeable. Um, then you have other ways. So what I like to do, especially for my clients and students that don't like consuming liver, again, I have lots of recipes on this, but um, you can just mince liver very finely into other meat blends. So 
say you want to make a burger or meatballs, you can mince a, a bit of liver into that ground beef mixture or ground bison mixture. Um, and that's a nice way to hide it. I call those recipes my secret liver recipes because <laughs> you can't really detect the liver, but you're you're getting it in there anyway. And hopefully they're, you know, husband approved because sometimes it's <laughs> hard to get other people from your family to agree. Uh, so this is a way you can like sneak it in without detection. Um, and then we have regular, you know, regular old straight up in your face liver recipes, which include pate. So you know, you could take beef liver pate, chicken liver pate, uh, but it's essentially um, an emulsified, uh, I don't know if that's the right term, I'm not a culinary expert, but uh, you, <laughs> you food process it with a bunch of herbs, maybe a little bit of fat, um, and you create this delicious paste that you can put on crackers, sourdough, um, you can eat alongside other things. And I've had even little children tell me that you know, or mothers of their kids uh, being like, my son is obsessed with your liver recipe or your pate recipe, <laughs> which makes me so happy because if kids are eating that, then, you know, it definitely, definitely hit the mark. <laughs> um, then we have liver and onions, which, you know, is probably one of the more um, loathed, <laughs> loathed dishes uh, that, you know, if you grew up watching Doug, uh, that was one of the classic dishes that his mom served. Uh, did you? No, I, I, I didn't have a TV growing up, so I am. Um, I don't know that one. Oh, that good for you. <laughs> I was just, I was just spending my time eating liver. So yeah, eating liver, frolicking in the Alaskan um, tundra. Yeah, tundra. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, it was just a show, but. Um, Liver and onions, are, I just remember this being like one of the dishes that he ate, but also hated. Uh, but it's a really traditional German dish. And my father-in-law, who's from Germany, he grew up eating liver and onions. And he, his mother, you know, made it very often, um, which is kind of awesome because I, yeah, I did not grow up eating liver and onions. So <laughs> those are a couple of ways, you know, you have your raw, your uh, milk soaked, your hidden secret liver, and then your liver in your face dishes. Um, so there's a couple things you could play around with depending on your tolerance for liver and, you know, what you personally like and your lifestyle and all that stuff. Awesome. I appreciate, I mean, I know you do this for when you're coaching, but thanks for bringing all those, like, you're making it very accessible for different palates and different comfort levels. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Experimentation too is key you know, no one person is going to like the same thing as everyone else. So it's really all about what kind of liver you have access to, what your comfort level is, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so do what's right for you. Cool. Awesome. Wow. So I, I, um, I'm going to just make a stupid pun here. I'm just, there's a lot here to digest. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for laughing. Perfectly suited. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think the last thing I, I, I'd like to cover is, or are the concerns around liver. Um, and there are a couple. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of them all, but I'm just curious to hear from you too, before I dive in. You know, when you think about liver and you talk to people about liver, are there any concerns that come up that people talk about? Or do you have any concerns around liver? Um, I don't have any personally. The only thing I've heard of is like the, the concern around toxins, but nothing other than that. Okay, gotcha. Well, yeah, so I'm going to dive into a couple of, uh, we already covered that one. Um, so these are, you know, a couple other ones. Um, and you might find them interesting. So one of the, I guess, main pushbacks against eating liver from people in general, is that it has a high vitamin A content. Uh, and, you know, the idea of vitamin A toxicity is definitely very concerning if you are pregnant, especially, uh, because, you know, and I'll explain, but there's a lot of dogmatism around this for sure. Uh, and I think it's misunderstood, really, really misunderstood. But, um, because there's this notion that vitamin A toxicity can cause birth defects, that everything that has vitamin A should be eaten with 
uh, caution and or removed from your diet. And so I think that's totally backwards because, you know, just because there's one study or one specific type of thing can cause certain issues doesn't necessarily mean we should completely cancel the entire food. Um, it's very much in line with cancel culture today too, which we could <laughs> talk about for hours. But um, liver does have a very high vitamin A content. And when I say vitamin A, I mean retinol, which is the preformed naturally occurring uh, vitamin A that is only found in animal foods. So there is a difference between vitamin A coming from carrots and vitamin A coming from animal foods. Uh, vitamin A in plant foods is typically called beta carotene, and it needs to be converted into retinol, so the preformed vitamin A, um, to you know actually achieve the same functions as vitamin A does in the body. Uh, whereas you know liver provides vitamin A in the very easily usable form. So what most people uh, I guess, have been conditioned to think is that, you know, that all vitamin A is bad. And this typically is coming from the results of this, well, old studies, but there's one in particular that kind of stands out. And it's a 1995 study that found that women who consumed more than 10,000 IU of vitamin A gave birth to children with a greater risk of specific birth defects. Uh, but this study was flawed. And so they did not differentiate at all between beta carotene, uh, retinol, you know, vitamin A from animal foods, retinol, or synthetic forms of vitamin A. And so the, much of the vitamin A that was coming from, or these people were consuming in the study was coming from multivitamins. And the researchers did a very poor job. They did not distinguish between fortified food sources versus naturally occurring food sources. And proceeding that study, there have been many studies following that one that show that exponentially higher vitamin A intake, like thousands, hundreds of thousands of IUs, and, you know, have either no correlation to birth defects or they actually lower birth defects. So there's a lot of contradicting information and really poor research that this, you know, notion that vitamin A causes birth defects is based upon. Um, and what's really interesting is that vitamin A is crucial to prevent birth defects. So <laughs> if you have any congenital issue, it's likely due to a retinal deficiency during, you know, conception, birth development, uh, because vitamin A is really specifically um, it has so many functions like, you know, supporting the creation of hormones, you need it to create hormones, um, but also the symmetry of the body. So how everything kind of unfolds is based on and supported by vitamin A. And so these sort of ideas that all vitamin A is bad is really unfounded and really inaccurate. And it's really kind of, you know, misinformation. I hate that word, but <laughs> it is. Um, and, you know, as I said, I mentioned earlier that we were talking, you know, we were talking about anemia really briefly. Um, in the 1930s, three doctors won the Nobel Peace Prize for curing iron deficiency anemia and pernicious anemia with beef liver. And so this is because liver contains iron, but it also contains copper, which regulates iron and it also contains vitamin A, so the retinol, the preformed one, that activates copper. Liver contains all three things. And so it also contains B12, which is typically what pernicious anemia is caused by too. So it's just a crazy, incredible food that can really support such great growth. Uh, bone structure too is also regulated by vitamin A. So it's such an important nutrient and it shouldn't be uh, you know, discredited just because of poorly constructed research studies. Um, I also want to mention too that, you know, I think a lot of people are, you know, really focus on consuming and food and getting their nutrient stores up for pregnancy. But what they don't realize is that breastfeeding, if you do plan on breastfeeding, it's actually going to require a lot more nutrition than during pregnancy. 
And during breastfeeding, you need about 60% more vitamin A during breastfeeding compared to pregnancy. So the need for vitamin A doesn't stop after pregnancy either. And we're going to be needing to replenish these stores too. So that's one of the first concerns I wanted to address. And I know I threw it a lot at you. Do you have any questions? <laughs> I don't have any questions. Um, I think you're very smart and very well read. And my sister, Gail, who is the nutritionist for Next Ingredient, um, I feel like you guys would have a great chat. She could she could get on your level with the stuff. I'm just kind of like, cool, that's, that's fascinating. And I don't have any follow-up questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'll chat with her one day about it. But um, awesome. So I'll, I'll move on to the next um, concern, which is around, you know, raw consumption and parasites. Uh, this typically won't happen if you have a high-quality liver source. Uh, but, you know, if you are concerned, you can freeze it for two weeks, like I mentioned. And then the last concern is typically around iron content. So a lot more people are, you know, hip to uh, understand iron overload or the concept of iron overload and iron toxicity. Um, you know, our food system has been fortified with iron since the 1940s, I believe. Um, maybe it was 1914. I'm getting my dates mixed up. But <laughs> either way, for a long time. And uh, iron toxicity and iron overload are, you know, drivers of many issues, health issues like autoimmunity, uh, fatigue, energy. You know, it's, it's really just very pervasive and it can hit a lot of issues. But um, a lot of people are worried about consuming liver because of its iron content now. And so we have this kind of like reverse issue where people are know how incredibly nutritious liver is, but now they're scared to consume it. Um, whereas, you know, um, we, we might not have known about it before. And as I mentioned, though, uh, there were three doctors that won the Nobel Prize for um, curing anemia with liver. So if you have iron, you always need copper and vitamin A to allow it to function properly. So liver delivers all those three nutrients in a beautifully wrapped package. Um, and, you know, I think that if you're worried about iron content, you should consume grass-fed liver versus uh, conventionally raised liver just because of the higher iron content in the conventionally raised liver. Uh, and, you know, the, the grass-fed liver will deliver uh, still tons of copper and vitamin A that you need to properly utilize iron right, so right. it it sounds like liver just brings balance rather than like too much iron or too much of something yeah and and that's you know a great point because i think when we think of deficiencies we go oh i'm deficient in this i need to take more of this thing whereas no mineral or vitamin or you know nutrient in general operates alone and What's beautiful about nature is that typically these nutrients are gift wrapped in beautiful packages all together. And, you know, <laughs> nature is amazing. So like when you're looking for a food that, you know, has is high in iron because you need more iron, typically it will also contain copper, vitamin A, B12, uh, you know, folate, other things that allow it to be utilized properly by the body. Whereas if you just looked for an iron supplement, uh, likely you're not going to get as much benefit from that. So just uh, some perspectives there too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, that's all I got for you, Meredith. Oh, well, is that all? <laughs> yeah. Goodness gracious. Lauren, I figured you would be um, blowing me, blowing my mind. And you did. You are. So thank you for bringing all of this to us and um, trying to figure out like a, a neat way to like wrap this up. There, like, there are just so many things we talked about that you talked about. Um, okay, how about, would you like people to be able to find you? Of course you do. You have a website, it's Conscious Conception. Let's see, Bloom Innate. What is your website? <laughs> My website is innate. So I-N-N-A-T-E-nutrition.com. Okay. Nutrition.com. And your Insta is at innate nutrition. 
It's at innate functional nutrition. Oh, sorry. All I good. Could have just asked you to tell me innate functional nutrition. Um, and you have a very cool website and Instagram. I was poking around on there. So if anyone has any follow-up questions, can they reach out to you? Yeah. Um, I'm most active on Instagram, so you can just shoot me a DM. Um, but yeah, feel free to my content. I talk about liver, but also other foods that support fertility and other, you know, tons of other nutrition stuff, but also hormonal stuff, etc. So it's, it's a fun time. Awesome. Any, any last, uh, I don't know, last thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, sure. Just, uh, go ahead and experiment with liver, you know, and if liver is not your, your jam, your jam, uh, organ meats, other organ meats are also great options. And, you know, if you're not used to eating organ meats, just try, uh, cutting them up or mincing them up and putting them in, uh, other muscle meats like ground beef and things like that, that will make the transition a lot easier. And nowadays, you know, if your local butcher can do that for you, uh, or, you know, you have um, even brands, online brands that do that for you too. So just check them out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lauren. I hope you have a great day. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Of for course. <laughs> Same. All right. Bye. Bye.